Saturday morning. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan. This is the Automotive Iron. We've got our co-host, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in co-pilot seat. Co-host seat, I guess I should say. There you go. <laughs> hey, three to us. We will try to answer any questions you can put to us. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 291-6901. And if you use our area code here in Baton Rouge, which is 225, you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. And if you happen not to want to give us a call or maybe think of something after we go off the air today, you can always go to our website and get your questions answered that way. There you go. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form with the correct information, and hit the send button. There you go. And you'll get an answer back within 24 hours, sometimes a lot faster, just depending on where. Time of day. Yeah, where I am in relation to my computer. <laughs> <laughs> day of the week? Yeah, day of the week, especially. If I'm at work, I generally try to check that several times during the day. Uh -huh. On the weekends when I'm off playing around somewhere, I'll check it at least in the morning and the afternoon or late evening before I go to bed. So generally within 24 hours, you can get an answer back. If you hadn't gotten an answer back in 24 hours. Then recheck your return address because if it's got a character out of place or maybe an incorrect spacing or something, it's just too difficult to try to send back. Right. When I hit the button, it's just going to bounce back and say email address incorrect. And I'll look, and if it's got like a comma instead of a dot at the end or something, maybe I can figure that out. But most time, some email or a lot, if not most email addresses, are fairly cryptic. They mean something to the person. Correct. But they're fairly cryptic when you're just looking at it. just a bunch of numbers and letters and what have you. Mm -hmm. And so there's just no way for me to figure it out, and just not you're not going to get an answer. Now, also, a lot of times, depending on what your security settings are, when they see an email coming from a commercial server that sends out a lot of email, then they may suspicious. assume that it's suspicious or spam. So check your spam folder. Sometimes it'll get moved there, uh -huh. and you won't receive it unless you put us in your safe. Safe sender. Safe sender, safe relief, receiver list. There whatever, you go. <laughs> whatever the name of that is. But, yeah, you will always get an answer back from us. We never ignore email. And, Never skip over it. So. Right. Anyway, there you go. That's everything you need to know about that. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking just a little bit before the show came on, and I don't know that we've ever really covered this specifically, but it's a very, very important part of a car. Sure. Even though it seems maybe not so much so. What we're talking about is like lug nuts. Right. Like hold the wheels on your car. And most vehicles have, all vehicles have at least four. Mm -hmm. Some have five, six. Some have seven, eight, just depending on the application. On the design. Ten. Depending on the application, as far as you know, what kind of vehicle it is, your your bigger trucks, your heavier trucks are going to have more more lug nuts because they have a bigger wheel. That's right. So they need a little more torque and fastening capacity to hold them on there. Well, that and they want to distribute that load more evenly around the wheel. The point is, no matter how many or how few it has on there, it needs every single one of them. Yes, it does. That's not an option. No. You know, if it has five lug nuts, that doesn't mean four will work. That's right, and you need the, all five of them on there. And the main thing is you need them torqued down evenly. That's right. Not only do they need to be torqued to the right amount of tightness, but they also need to be torqued in a specific pattern. Correct. And what a lot of people do not realize, let's say the torque specification is 100 foot-pounds. Well, that doesn't mean run one lug nut down to 100 foot-pounds, next one down to 100 foot-pounds, next one down to 100 foot-pounds, and so on, because what you will do is cock the wheel on the hub right. so that it may not be able to pull down straight if it does pull down straight you can end up warping the little hub that the studs come out of and causing your rotors to warp sure one of the big problems that we see with 
repeat break shutter is that people are improperly talking those lug nuts down or have had done in in previous that's right applications i remember several years ago when little ford escorts were out yeah they were kind of notorious if you improperly torqued the lug nuts you would bend the hub through the center Mm -hmm. and it would start to warp rotors and all that but more to the point if you ever had to remove the drive axle because what would happen is it would distort that center hole, a splined center hole. Right. Instead of it being the same size front and back, it would crush down the front. Right. And w- if you had to remove that axle, it was going to be a very expensive proposition because what you had to do is take the knuckle and axle out as an assembly and then usually take a cutting torch from there. Yeah. And you um, were going to be buying a whole lot of parts, unless a, a wheel could. bearing and a hub and an axle at very least. And if you happened to get it out, putting a new one back in was just as difficult. Yeah, it usually would not go back in. It would go about halfway in and then lock up. up because the splines had to start it. Right. And that all comes, you're putting a tremendous amount of force down when you're tightening lug nuts or any bolt. Mm-hmm. You know, basically what a bolt is, the way a bolt works or a threaded apparatus of any type the way that works it's an extremely powerful spring and when you are tightening the nut down what you're doing is you're stretching the stud you don't realize you don't because of the way it's made but you do you are stretching the stud and that clamping force comes from the stretch of that stud pulling back trying to go back to its original state that's where the tightness comes from correct another thing that people do not really grasp a lot of times is that torque is not exactly tightness it relates to tightness Mm -hmm. a certain amount of torque under certain criteria will equal a certain amount of tightness in general however if you change any of those characteristics you're changing the tightness relative to the torque okay there's what torque is is the resistance of turn of the nut against the bolt so when you're talking about 80 foot pounds, what you mean, if you had a wrench one foot long and you put on that nut, it would take 80 pounds of force to pull it, to turn it to a certain tightness. And the tightness is going to come from how much the bolt has stretched. So let's say, just to kind of put all this into perspective, we put 80 foot pounds on a dry stud that's in relatively good shape. We're going to get a certain amount of clamping force. Now, let's say we lubricate that stud. But now you've thrown another, another factor in there. Into the, because that reduces the drag the on that nut. So it is going to stretch that bolt a lot more. The clamping force is going to be much higher than the torque indicates. Correct. 80 foot-pounds of torque on a lubricated stud is going to be much tighter than 80 pounds on a dry stud. Now, let's say the stud is in kind of bad shape. It's rusted. Well, now 80 foot-pounds is going to be much less clamping force. Because it takes a lot more force to turn the nut. Right. So torque is sort of an inaccurate way of doing things. And on critical applications, they've gotten away from torque and gone to all kinds of other methods. Why do we use torque? It's just the best thing we have. In many cases where you can't get to both sides of the fastener, torque is all that you have. But again, you have to remember that torque is a specification under certain criteria. Now, lug nuts are never lubricated. They're not supposed to be. Well, we have seen people put all kind of lubricants, anti-seizes on them, things of that nature, and, and that think they're doing good. Right. But what you're doing, you're increasing the clamping force drastically with the same amount of torque. Now, that would also go with a spark plug. Mm-hmm. If you put a never-seize on your spark plug thinking you're doing the right thing, 
by the time you torque that down to the proper torque, you may pull, pull the, the threads, out of, threads the head. out of the head because you are putting it much, much tighter than a dry fastener would be with the same torque. Mm-hmm. So torque does not automatically equal tightness. It relates to tightness. Right. Now, if you wanted a more accurate method, what they do, like on racing engines, when they're torquing, say, the rod bolts, there's a device that's sort of C-shaped. It has a dial indicator on it and a socket built into it. So as you are torquing the bolt, you can watch the stretch. And they go for a specific amount of stretch on the bolt. Now, if you achieve the stretch before the proper torque, then you discard the fastener because you know it's weak. You stretched it out too far. Right. When you get to the proper torque, if the right stretch has not been achieved, then you go slightly tighter until you achieve the right amount of stretch because that is more accurately the clamping force. Than torque. On some real large industrial type things, they have load cells. It's sort of like a washer with a sensor made into it. Right. They can put those on and they can tighten it until the load cell reads the proper amount of torque or proper amount of clamping force, which is what they're trying to achieve. More recently, like on head bolts and stuff, they've gone to torque to yield, they call it. And that's where you will torque it a certain amount, then you will turn it a certain number of degrees. There's a degree feature built into the torque wrench, and you can measure the number of degrees passed because the initial torque, all it does is make sure the two surfaces are touching. Now, once these surfaces have touched, if you know the pitch of the bolt, the exact angle of that bolt, you can mathematically calculate, calculate how many degrees it would take to provide the proper clamping force, and that's more accurate than torque. And that's what a lot of things have gone to. Right. As far, like you say, engine building. I think there's some transmission applications, mm-hmm. things of that nature, but lug nuts have stayed with the torque. Stayed with torque. And unfortunately, most people don't even do that. No. A lot of time. I mean, I have seen people run them down with an impact wrench, mm-hmm. and you don't have the same amount of torque on each nut, so therefore you've got things stretched and warped they do have a tool out now that you can use on an impact Mm -hmm. it's a torque stick right and the way it works is the stick is a certain size and it will stretch so much with the hammer blow of an impact it absorbs the impact it's like a tuning fork exactly they are tuned they're tuned exactly to the torque you need because an impact wrench does not have a lot of power the hammering that's what gives it the force right the little air motor if you could bind it you could probably hold it back with your hand. Mm-hmm. It's not that powerful a turning force. It's just the hammering that gives it the impact. The impact, that's what the name comes from. And if you have something on there that can flex and absorb the impact, then you're going to lower the torque considerably. I know that back years and years ago when we used to use impacts, we were always told to use an impact socket. Uh-huh. And if you needed some extra length to use a deep socket, don't put an extension with an impact. Right, because the extension would flex. The extension would do the same thing the torque stick does. It would absorb the impact, and so you wouldn't be tight enough. You had to go behind it with a torque wrench if you did that. A hand a hand torque right. wrench. And so the point is, if you want to get these done properly, they need to be torqued. Now, they also need to be torqued in a specific pattern. Correct. Any type of pattern has a special procedure to torque down right and we're going to take a quick little break right now we'll talk about that a whole lot more as soon as we get back 
travel. Hey, Jim. Becky said you were in the office and... Whoa! What is up with all the charts and graphs, buddy? Oh, I'm using my system I've developed to keep up with the maintenance on my three cars. Is that an armillary sphere? Yes. Yes, it is. So, the oil gets changed every third full moon. Brake pads divide the years Becky and I have been married by our oldest son's age. Timing belt is leap year, except when it's on y the time... You know the there's a better way, right? I just take my cars into Agco once a year for a general inspection. They give me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need. Sometimes it's just an oil change and they send me on my way. One time, they caught something that could have led to a huge repair. Saved me thousands. Wow, that sounds great. You know, I'm always trying to save money any way I can. Uh, let me get Agco's number online and I'll give them a call. Is that dial-up? Dude, there's a better way to save money. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We certainly appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And we were talking just a bit about bolts, fasteners, and particularly lug nuts. Correct. And the, the thing about lug nuts is they're all there for a reason. You know, mm -hmm. when the engineer designed that car, he engineered how many lug nuts he needed to hold that wheel onto that vehicle and properly spread and the load properly spread the load out and just because it has four three is not going to work that's right you need they all need to be on there they all need to be torqued correctly and you know while we're talking about torquing them correctly when you torque a single bolt you can torque it down in one step right now when you're talking about a torquing down bolts. a series of bolts then there is a strict pattern and you don't need to torque one down and then go to the next one and torque it down. You need to work them down in a series. So you start, you break it into thirds. I like to break them into thirds. Mm -hmm. Take a third of the torque, run the pattern, run the wrench up to the next third, torque them down again in the same pattern, mm -hmm. and then when the final torque is, that's the final torque on the bolt, run them down in the pattern again. And that way you pull the component down evenly. That's right. And let's say we've got five lugs. Then traditionally what you would do is go in a star pattern. Correct. In other words, you would go from... One at the bottom to one up towards the top. Work a back triangle. down to the one on the other side and zip, zap, zap, zap all the way around. If you've got four lugs and you go crossways, you Correct. get this one, you go 180 degrees, get the other one, then go cross again. 90 and then. Uh, if it's six, you know, whatever you have, you go in some sort of. A cross bolt pattern. Cross type pattern so that you're not putting all the torque on one side and then bringing the other side down. And like Brian said, let's say it's 90 foot pounds. What you would do is go run the pattern at 30 run it again at 60, and then finalize it at 90. Correct. And that's going to allow everything to relax and go down in a nice, smooth, even pattern and not warp anything. Yeah, we learned. I learned that when I was a, a young kid. We were messing with go-karts. Mm -hmm. And you had to torque the sprocket down to make sure that it ran true that's so it right. didn't throw the chain off all the time. You know, it was just one of those lessons you learned early when, you, right. were, when you were messing with things, lawnmowers or whatever it would be. Yeah, because if you crank one bolt down and went back and cranked the other, now you pocket was going to wobble, and, and when it is, going to throw the chain off. Exactly, and then you was going to be stopped putting well, chain back on. Well, you're going to be doing a whole lot more chain installing than, than riding, <laughs> which was one's no fun at all. There was a whole lot of fun. There you so go. We did, yeah, it didn't take very long to figure that out. <laughs> hey, let's go to our phone line with David. Good morning, David. Good morning, Lewis. Happy Easter to you. Thanks, sir. Good morning. I've got a question. I've got a 2006 Lexus LX470. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it's not a torque problem today. Okay. <laughs> I've got an electrical problem. Okay. It started throwing all kinds of warning lights, including an emergency brake light when the emergency brake was not on. Mm -hmm. The most recent one was the battery light. Okay. And then just yesterday, boom, it died. 
Okay. And uh, now what I did this morning, because it's the weekend and y'all are not open, I wish y'all were. All right, that's another story. Mm-hmm. That's a long story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I went ahead and got a new battery. The okay. battery's two years old. Mm-hmm. So based upon your advice to me, probably need a new battery. Put a new battery in it. Mm-hmm. It's still showing a battery light right. and emergency brake light. Right. Okay. I want to call you Monday and turn it in. Yeah. Because it could be the alternator. It yeah, could be very cell. likely, David, that's going to be the alternator. That's why the battery went dead because the alternator is not charged enough. That's what your light is. Also, the red brake light, that could very easily be related to low voltage in the system. For instance, yeah. let's say the, the alternator is not charging, but the battery is pretty good, and it's maintaining about 11 or 12 volts, which will still crank the car just fine. You'll never know the difference. But uh-huh. the computer knows the difference. At 12 volts, it's going to start saying, hey, something's wrong. And the, the brake system seems to be more in tune more to that. More that for yeah. some reason. And see, the, the red light is a red. It, it does show you the parking brakes on. It also checks the fluid level, but it also checks for a hydraulic failure in the, in the unit. system. So let's say the uh-huh. pump can't run at full speed because of the low voltage. Well, it's not going to build enough pressure, and it's going to flag that same light. It's only one light, but it indicates multiple things. Okay. So I think it's a good plan we have just to let the let the vehicle rest for the weekend and uh, call call Mister Lane. That would be that. great. Yeah, we'll run an electrical profile on it, and I can tell you pretty fast if you got low system voltage. That's not a real big thing to diagnose. And I always, you know, you never go after any kind of a problem if you got a known electrical problem. Yeah, you, you always solve that first because that's going to fix so many other things. And, you know, the other option is to go in and diagnose every single problem, spend three or four hours, come back and say, yeah, you need an alternator, which doesn't make any sense. You know, you go after the one that – The most uh, obvious. Yeah, the most obvious. You know, we do that a lot. For instance, a guy came in the other day. He had a misfire on cylinder number three, which is a bad ignition call. He also had a knock sensor code, and he had an oxygen sensor code. Well, yeah. what we do, we're going to put a call on it first because the coil misfiring can cause the engine to knock. Right. It can also cause the fuel air mixture to be wrong. So you don't go start putting oxygen sensors and knock sensors and all that. You fix the. Right. You got to have the hierarchy of the problem, and the electrical system is always the biggest hierarchy. You always go there first. It fix that right. first, clear everything out, and see if anything comes back. All right, man. All well, right. Look, happy Easter to you, Lewis. Thanks, David. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number if you want to give us a call and talk about lug nuts, torque, or electrical problems, or whatever, whatever you, you got. Might. There you go. <laughs> Old car won't start, won't stop. <laughs> hey, you never are limited to what we're talking oh, about no. in a given day. We just have to have some topic to chit chat between the calls, so we right. pick one and that's hope, what we go with. Yeah, go with. Hope people will be interested in that. But yeah, we'll call, talk about anything you've got. Uh, transmission won't shift. Whatever you got, give us a call. And we were talking about the pattern and how important that is. Also, the condition of the studs is important in that if your lug studs are rusty or they're sort of chipped up, cobbled up looking, you might want to take a die and run over them, just chase the threads out. Or they make a thread chaser, which is better than using a die because if you continue to – a die cuts metal away. Correct. You do not want to remove metal if you don't have to. No, not from a lug nut especially. Mm-hmm. The chaser rolls the threads back into shape. It's like it doesn't a die, but it's smooth rather mm-hmm. than a sharp edge. So it kind of squeezes the metal back into the proper shape. And it's right. made just for that purpose. You know, you couldn't take an unthreaded rod and use a thread chaser. It no, could, it, it wouldn't. It won't dig in and, and do the job. But to just clean up some threads, they're very, very good for that. And some of them are split down the middle, and they're wedge-shaped. So the... The harder you push the socket on it, the tighter it grips the stud. 
So you can get it started, run it down one time, push the socket in a little harder, run it down a second time, run it on, run it off, and it'll do a pretty good job of straightening those threads out. Those chasers you were talking about are two pieces, and you, mm-hmm. what you do is you take them, and when you put them together, they have a sock, the socket will fit over them, right. over the stud. So what you can do is go to the back of the stud up next to the rotor, right. clamp it on the stud, and, bring and then off. put the socket on it and then back it off that way you don't have to try to start one well advantage being if you try to start it and because get, it is cobbled up you start it crooked now you could be cross-threading right, right. Which and is then way, you way worse it. whereas if you put it on the entire stud then you got more threads to line it up and usually the threads on the threads toward the back of the stud are going to be good usually the ones towards the end are the ones that get rusted mm-hmm. and get cobbled up because the nut doesn't cover them so they're sticking out they're exposed to the elements they're and exposed to things hitting them and so on a lot of times over torque on the nut mm-hmm. will cause a problem, and we'll get to that after this caller. There you go. And we got Joe in line. Good morning, Joe. Uh, the problem we're having, my girlfriend's got a 2000 and two Thunderbird, mm-hmm. and we have spent probably over $5,000 trying to resolve the problem with this thing. She can be driving down the road, and the overheat thing comes on, engine slows down, she pulls off on the side of the road, does not lose any coolant, does not go back to the tank. We have changed thermostats in there five times, flushed the system. It's got a hydraulic fan on it. The fan is operating. Everything that we can think of has been done to this car, and it may not do it for two or three months, and then that thing will do it again. And then maybe two or three days later, it'll do it again. Well, what you need to do, Joe, instead of wasting all that money, you can just go in and you got to verify, is the engine really overheating or does it just think it's overheating? That's <laughs> simple as pie. You can put a mechanical gauge on and just see, is it really overheating or does it just think it's overheating? Because the repair strategy is going to be totally different depending on which situation you got. Or you could have a bad sensor and it just thinks it's overheating when it's not. You could have a ground that's going, a wire that's going to ground when it shouldn't and it's just indicating that. You could have a PCM that's going bad and it thinks it's hot when it's not. So if it's actually overheating, you got one set of situations that you got to address. If it's just thinks it's overheating, then you got a whole completely different. So without knowing that, you just got to do what you're doing. You throw five grand away and not even get close to the problem. Yeah. Well, she looked up on a computer and stuff there, whatever you do, that people's had problems with these Thunderbirds, with the same problem I'm describing there, and they've taken it back to forward. Yeah, but put a mechanical gauge on and just see, is it really overheating or does it just think it's overheating? Because the repair is going to be totally different depending on which situation you got. Or you could have a bad sensor and it just thinks it's overheating when it's not. you got to know, is it really overheating or does it just think it's overheating? That's first. That is a very simple test that any competent shop can run. And at that point, you know what you're going after. See, because if you just sit there and say, well, I'm going to change this, I'm going to change that. Well, somebody said maybe it's this, somebody said maybe it's that. Well, maybe it's all kinds of things. I mean, we could talk for two days about things that might be, but we don't even know if it's really getting hot or not. See, until you know if you got an electrical problem or an engine heating problem, you absolutely waste your money. And that's a very simple test. It's very easy to take. And once you got that, now you've got a plan of action. Well, the vehicle is not losing coolant, and it's not pushing coolant back into the yeah, okay. reservoir. Yeah, I'm sorry, Joe. You're not going to get that, I don't guess. Hey, we got to take our second quick little break, and we're going to get right back with more on the Automotive Hour. So, Tina, are you interested in shopping next weekend? Oh, well, me and Harold leave for our European cruise on Friday. Another cruise? What? 
Are you all blowing the kids' inheritance? <laughs> no, we're just smart with our money. Like, our cars are paid off, and we're big on preventative maintenance. Harold takes them in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what we need to keep the cars running right. You'd be surprised on how fast you can save for a cruise without two car notes. <laughs> wow, I never thought of that. I have time to do a little shopping this afternoon, though. I've got to get Harold a bathing suit. He keeps saying he wants one of those tiny Speedo suits because that's what everybody wears in Europe. And I cannot let that happen. Okay, now I have an image of Harold strutting around the pool in a Speedo. I think I'm going to book a general inspection from Agco to clear my mind. He wanted hot pink, too. <laughs> Tina, stop. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call, 291-6901. And before the break, we were talking about lug studs and lug nuts. Right. And we'd entertain any other question you might have while we're still on the air live. There you go. To get you an answer today. That's one more thing that I wanted to mention about lug nuts. And this is one of those things that is fairly commonly done and when you find out you did it, it generally at the worst possible time to find out that it was done. Mm -hmm. And that is lug nuts come not only in different threads and pitches and all that stuff, but different nut sizes. Correct. Some of the more common ones will either be 19 millimeters or 21 millimeters. Or 21 millimeters, depending, 22, depending yeah, on the vehicle. The vehicle. But. The point is, you've got a lug wrench in most cars that's designed to fit what came on that car. Right. It's a single socket on a arm that is designed for that car with that as it was produced. Right. Now, let's say your car calls for a 19-millimeter lug nut, and you lose one or damage one. So you go to the parts store, and they hand you one that's the exact right pitch and thread and looks the same, except it's 21-millimeter. Well, what you effectively did is put a lock on your wheel to which you, you do not have a key. <laughs> right. <laughs> because when you have a flat tire on the side of the interstate with the kids and the wife and the luggage on your way to Orlando and you jump out, you're going to be the hero and you grab your lug wrench and it takes three of them off, but the fourth one won't come off because you can't get it on there. Yeah. That's a pretty uncomfortable situation. It is. Yeah. I mean, at very least, you're stuck on the side of the road with cars and trucks zooming by. And That's right. Kind of a dangerous situation. Well, and at best, if you got a cell phone, you can call someone. They probably have a wrecker come get you, or maybe you'll have a four-way lug wrench that'll take it off for you or whatever. But the point is, it's all so unnecessary if you just verify that because you got to remember, they're not all the same sizes. And back in the old days when people had what they call a four-way lug wrench, it had four sockets on it. The odds of having one that would fit it were pretty good. Sure. But we see that quite a bit where we're removing wheels from a car and we've got the proper tool to do it and yak 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 and you get to one it's the wrong size right and we always pull it off with the right tool and then tell get the, the customer we need to get the right one and put back on here because if you have a problem you're gonna be in a world right. of trouble you don't have the the vast tooling that the shop has right to we've take got a complete off. set of sockets and right. stuff there and you've just got a little lug a single now right along the same lines a lot of people are unaware that they have a lock a locking lug on their car mm -hmm. and the manufacturer's trying to help people i guess they people will steal wheels sure. and tires off cars particularly if you got a nice set of wheels and tires aluminum uh, mag wheels or whatever so what they did is they engineered a little lock and a lock looks a lot like a lug nut except it doesn't have a hex on it 
in many cases. Instead, it has some type of a tool that will go on it and remove it. Right. And with the tool, it's just a matter of inserting the tool. It engages it, the proper area and the it tool comes has, right on off. The tool has the correct uh, hex on it or pattern, whatever it may be, to take it off. If you have those on your car, then you have to be aware that there is a key in the car to remove somewhere. those somewhere, hopefully. And the point is, a lot of times when the car was manufactured, the manufacturer put the lug nuts on there, they put the locks on, and they stuck the key in the glove box right? uh-huh. or in the console. Well, you go to the tire store, and the mechanic takes the key out, and he rotates the tires or whatever, and maybe he puts it back somewhere else. He puts it in a door pocket mm-hmm. without thinking. Or worse, he forgets to put it back because right. he lays it on his toolbox or whatever. Things can happen. Now, again, same scenario. You're on your way to Orlando with the kids, the wife, and the luggage, maybe the mother-in-law in the back just to make it worse. <laughs> <laughs> you have a flat tire, and you don't have that lock. Well, yep, you're yeah, stuck. You are stuck. I mean, to the point that, to me, when I buy a car, I usually take those locks off and just put four regular or five regular lug nuts on it. Yeah, they're, they're more of a hindrance to the, the technician that's actually working on the car. And if a thief wants those wheels, he's right. going to take them. There's, I mean, there's tools to get around those. There are a series of different devices and tools where a thief can generally get around them. So they're really limited amount of security they provide. I mean, if they make you feel good, that's great. Yeah, they'll stop but an honest person. The odds of them inconveniencing you greatly is yeah. probably much higher than the odds of them preventing a, st- a theft of your wheels. And then you, you take your vehicle in to have some tire work or whatever it may be. The tires have to come off. The technician has to spend time looking for this key, and that can take up to 10, 15 minutes depending on how far he's willing to dig well, before he makes a phone call and, and asks you where is it located. At very least, when you bring your car in for service, it's wise to take the key out locate it take it out Put either in, lie it on the bring it on lay it on the seat somewhere or better yet bring it in with your regular keys hand it to the service rider let him put it in the bag with the keys yeah now even i guess equally important when you get the car back make sure you have that key put back in your hand that right. way you know you've got it and you can put it wherever you know it will be so that next time you need it, you'll know exactly where to go to find it exactly at agco that is our one of our procedures the, the that key is our goes policy. back the wheel lock key goes back with the keys to the customer's right. hand. And I always hand it to the customer because we go in and find that key and they may not even know where they it's may at. not have known where it is because the last guy may have put it in a different place. Mm-hmm. So we find it, put it back where it is and they don't know where it is. They're going to be very inconvenienced if they have a problem at the very least. Now on a lot of cars too, we have sort of a, a master key set, like on Toyota and Lexus, there's about 20 different possible keys. We have all 20 of them. We have a master set. Correct. So if the key gets lost, we can still get them off for you. And we would advise to either buy a new set with a key or just put Regular Red lug nuts back, back on, on it and eliminate the, the key and the problem. So we're going back to our phone lines. Roy, good morning, Roy. Hey, good morning, guys. How y'all are? Doing, Doing good. great, man. Man, I got a 2008 Chevrolet Avalanche with a 5.3 liter Chevrolet engine in it. And last Friday, I was driving and went, had to turn around in the parking lot. I hit a speed bump. Uh-oh. And my check engine light came on, and the engine, the stable lock link came on. And that was it. The engine started missing and sputtering, and I didn't think I was going to make it home, but I did. They ran the uh, codes on it, said I had a misfire, and number six coil was out. Nah. So I, yeah, I changed the coil, changed the plugs, changed the wires. Yeah. Still doing it. Yeah, absolutely. See, that's the problem, Roy. When you go to a parts store, 
all they're going to do is tell you what code they see, and the problem is they're going to start selling you parts that probably aren't as good as the parts you took off, so you just made the problem worse. See, more likely in that case, what happened is you damaged something in the Stabilitrack system, and that has to have a scan tool that can go in a chassis module. That's not in the power module. So it's going to have a code saying the circuit that's causing the problem. Now, when the Stabilitrack starts to have problems, it may shut cylinders down because it's trying to limit the power of the engine so that it doesn't, you know, it thinks the, the truck's slipping all over the road because something's got knocked out of line. So it takes and it starts shutting cylinders down to cut the power back. Right. So it can gain control. So again. that is going to result in a misfire. It may also result in an oxygen sensor code or anything else because when it starts shutting these cylinders down, it knows something about knock code and all these things. So it's not enough to get a code. You have to know how the entire system works to know how all that stuff is interrelated. But if it all started right after you hit a big bump, I'm looking for something that got pulled loose, something that got bent, knocked out of place, and the Stabilitrack is picking that up. It thinks the vehicle is out of control, so it's trying to control it by shutting the engine cylinders down. I think if you fix your Stabilitrack problem, then you'll fix all your other problems also. All right. Because, uh, yeah, I, I went and pulled all my wires off the ECM, cleaned them, put them all back. Yeah, but see, what you've done is you've disturbed all the information the tech needs now to fix it. Yeah, uh, so you because just got rid of all the yeah. data that was in there, so now it all has to regenerate now. So you're just making it worse it's and worse and worse. Just like unhooking a battery. Yeah. So, you know, and see, well, none of that happened when you hit a bump. That, that All that right. stuff just didn't, your plug right. wires didn't go bad, the call didn't go bad when you hit a bump. See, because the problem didn't exist until you did that. So you got to go back to, okay, what happened, what brought this on? And then you got to have a logical series, you know, series to go after to try to diagnose the problem. See, the, the plugs didn't go bad and the wires didn't go bad when you hit the bump. And the ECM right. wires didn't get corroded when you hit the bump. And right. see, when the stability track light came on is when all this other stuff happened. So, yeah. so you got to go back to that. And you're going to have to get somebody that knows what they're doing to go into the chassis module, retrieve that code, because of and then chase it down. It could be uh, something like just it, it may have pushed one of the wheels back. And so now the steering wheel sensor is looking at it and it thinks the car is going down the road sideways. So and it thinks you're sliding. It's shutting the cylinders down to try to get it straight again. That's right. Mm, okay, because it definitely runs rough. Yep, it yeah, will. I'm sure it will. <laughs> and, and what you're doing is causing damage to the catalytic converter well, right could. now. You could. But if, see, it's, if it's misfiring, you're causing well, damage. Well, but more likely it's shutting the injectors down. So it's not going to be such a big problem with that. It doesn't shut the ignition down. It shuts the injectors down because it doesn't want to flood the converter. But... You're going to have to go back to what originally started and then diagnose the real problem and then see if all the other problems don't go away. Yeah, well, it, it even kind of adds to it. They say, oh, you need a driver for 50 miles. Well, guess what? I drove it for 50 Well, you, you, I mean, you, you, like crap. you go into a parts store. I yeah. mean, what do you expect? Yeah. They don't know anything. No. I, I mean, they don't even know how to sell you the right parts in the most case, you know? <laughs> Yeah, you're gonna have to get that to somebody with the proper tooling that understands the car that can go in and diagnose what happened. And I'll bet you're gonna find something either got knocked loose or something got knocked out of line, and it thinks the car is sliding sideways, which is what's bringing all this other stuff on. Okay. All right. For the stint, yeah, because the leak, the, the light don't come on until after it runs. Yeah, it's got it's got to see the problem. Right. See, when you disconnect all the wires, you cleared everything out. Now it's got to see the problem occur again, and then when it sees the problem occur, it's going to start doing what it's supposed to do, which is keep you from killing yourself when the car slides sideways down the road. Yeah, well, I'll try not to go sideways too much. Yeah, but it don't know that. See, it's just like yeah. the guy that called before. He's talking about overheating, overheating, but he don't know if it's overheating or not. You got to yeah, find well, out first, where do you have an right. electrical problem that makes a computer think that it's doing that? 
See, if that computer thinks you're going sideways down the road, it it's, don't matter how straight you drive. That's right. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how many parts you change. It's going to do right. what it's programmed to do. Yeah, well, I haven't changed that too much. I got, I do have an appointment with uh, with a shop on okay. Wednesday. I just wanted Great. to see what you guys thought yep, about yep. it. Just have them check the, check the test module, see what that, and tell them exactly what happened, when the problem started, and if they're any good at what they do, that's the first place they're going to go look. Okay. All right. Well, All right. thank you guys well, okay, very much. Right. I enjoy listening to you. Well, thank well, you. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Uh-huh. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to part of the automotive art, we'd love to have you. And, you know, we were talking lug nuts and lug studs this today, but mm-hmm. like I said, we'll entertain any other questions you have today. But back on the lug nut yep. subject, I've seen lug nuts that have been over-torqued mm-hmm. and damaged the studs. Yes. And or the wheel. Or and or, and or the wheel. Mm-hmm. And what happens is just like the scenario with the Escort earlier, when you tighten it down, it crushes the center and makes the center smaller. A lug nut should be able to start, be started and run almost all the way up by finger tight, right? by hand. If it's not, then you've got something going on in either the nut or the thread that needs to be addressed. Right. Then you would chase the stud with a thread chaser. At very least, take a wire brush, clean it up, but don't put oil on it. No. Because it's not supposed to be lubricated. It's not designed to be lubricated. And if you lubricate it, you're going to change the torque. Yeah, you'll so. change the torque. on Anytime you lubricate a thread, you change the friction as the nut tightens up and it changes the torque. Right. That's right. So you, you don't want to start modifying stuff. You just want to put it back to the, the situation way it where it's supposed to be. And where it's supposed to be is clean and dry, dry. and then torque to a certain specification in the proper sequence. Sequence. Uh-huh. And you know, once you do that, then you lug nuts are going to give very, very, very little problems. Now, there are at least two different ways that those wheels line up on cars, depending on what kind of wheel you have. They are. Most original equipment wheels are going to be hub-centric, and there's the big round part in the center of the wheel is what lines it up, and the lug nuts only serve to pull it down tight against the wheel. To hold it. To hold it, the but load, it doesn't line it up. The load runs on the center ring. Right. And the other application is a, a lug-centric wheel, which happens the center hole is drilled bigger for different applications. Right. You know, the bolt pattern may be the same on 15 different vehicles, but the hub center is different size right. on, on every one of them. Mm-hmm. So what they do is they drill the bolt pattern in the wheel to whatever they want it at, and then they drill a great big hole in the center of it so it fits everything. That's right. And those are a lug-centric wheel. Right. Which it uses the lug nuts to kind of center right. it up. And the biggest thing with that is the way you balance that wheel is different. Correct. And we're going to talk about that after our caller. We got SJ online. Good morning, SJ. Uh, morning, Lou. How y'all doing? Doing great, good, sir. Good, good. All right. Question. All right. I went to get my oil changed, I, and I knew I had a motor mount that was bad. This phone thing I did my 2005 Avalon. Okay. And they got it up there, and they had a uh, tear in my CV joint. Okay. So I went ahead and got all that changed. Now, the question is, should they have a line my front end after that? It depends on how they took it apart. Because some of those, if you take them apart at the ball joint, that is a taper fit. And if you take it apart, put it back together, no matter how many times you do it, it's going to line back up perfectly. That's the design of that application. Now, Uh if they took the strut out, if they undid the two bolts at the strut and took the knuckle and the strut apart, then that is a, it's, it's a real sloppy fit. And you use that a lot for alignment. You can change camber by moving, loosening those bolts and moving the knuckle in and out of the strut housing. 
if they took it apart there, they disturbed the alignment. And it would have to be realigned. And it would have to be realigned. Well, the reason I asked that, because whenever a start-off seemed like it's pulling to the right, I had I checked the air pressure in both mm-hmm. front tires, and uh, that's okay. Well, so. check, too, SJ. It wasn't pulling before they did the work? No. See if they rotated your tires, because a lot of times they will rotate tires when they're doing other work, even if they didn't say anything about it. Because they did. Yeah, okay, well, well, that may be the source you of your pull then. What I would do before I did anything else is just jack the car up and cross the two front tires temporarily left to right and see if it starts pulling in the other direction. If it does, you've got a tire that's either mismatched, has different wear on it, or possibly a defective tire. And you could either replace the defective tire or rotate them back to the back and put the front ones back to the front. But radial tires are very, very common to do that when you rotate them. But very easy right. to diagnose. Just have them cross the two front tires side to side and see if the pull changes. Okay. All righty. Thank you, man. Appreciate okay, it. Well, all right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. We got to take our last quick little break. But, hey, we're going to be right back with a whole lot more. Hey, Mike. Heading out for your run? <laughs> I just knocked out three miles myself. Yep. Did my meditation this morning to de-stress, and now I'm going to get a little exercise. Tomorrow I need to take the car into the shop, though. That shaking problem's getting worse. Uh, You know, you should take care of your car like you take care of your body, and it would save you some money. What do you mean? Preventative maintenance is key. Me and Kathy bring our cars in once a year to ADCO for a general inspection. They give them the once-over and perform the maintenance needed to keep us on the road. I haven't had any kind of major problem with my cars in forever. I guarantee they would have caught the cause of your shaking issue and fixed it before it became a problem. And probably saved me money, too. Yep. All right, I'm heading home this evening for steak and lobster. Then Kathy and I are going to test run our new hot tub. Surf and turf and a new hot tub? Yeah, and champagne. Saving money on your car allows you to enjoy the finer things in life, Mike, my boy. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. If you have an automotive problem, question, or comment, you give us a call, 291-6901. That'll get you right to us. Still got a few minutes to get your questions answered for you. Certainly do. You were talking during the break about conditioning the components when you put the thing together, and that is not such a big issue here because we don't have the road salts and all that corrode parts up like you may in some of the northern states or northeastern states. But if that hub is not nice and smooth and clean, mm-hmm. then you're not going to get a good seat, even if you do torque everything down. Right. And what's going to happen is the wheel's going to wobble. And any wobbling component sets up a vibration. And depending on what speed that vibration comes in at as to what you're going to feel when you're driving the car. Right. So it's the same as not torquing the, the pattern, using the pattern and torquing the wheel down right. It lets the wheel cock to one side, and it'll wobble. Mm-hmm. So you rack, like you were saying, you need to keep the lug nuts clean. You need to keep the surface of the hub clean where the rotor and the wheel will bolt up flush. Right. And they're all designed to run straight when they're all clean. And, you know, more modern vehicles, sort of like the last gentleman we were talking to, you can end up with check engine lights, misfires, Mm -hmm. transmission shifting problems, and all sorts of things you would never even imagine would relate back to a wheel not installed properly on the car. Right. Because there are sensors in these wheels, and if the wheel is wobbling and beats something up, that may beget something else, which begets something else. 
All right, and, and they're not directly related. Up, yeah, you may not have any idea that these things are related. Uh, you know, in fact, we've had two or three calls today where you have to first determine what is causing this problem because many things are not what they appear at all. For instance, you may have a brake light on, however, it may be the alternator causing it. Sure. You may have a transmission that doesn't shift properly, but it may be an engine misfire that's causing that. Now, if you go in and you rebuild the transmission, you put it all back together, you You still still have the exact same problem. And then you still got to fix the problem. Yeah, you just spent four grand for absolutely nothing and possibly even made it worse if it didn't do a good job rebuilding it. But the point is you haven't fixed the problem. That's why it's so important to communicate everything you know when you take your car in to have it fixed. Well, or if you're going to try to do the work yourself, you have to get an understanding of the the system, the way it works, because it's not, in most cases, going to be a single component. Each and every component is interrelated now. Mm -hmm. They're all talking to each other, and one problem can cause so many other problems that you might not ever imagine. Right. We see that in history of data a lot when you pull a history trouble codes out of a, a computer. You know, there's a lot of loss of communication between the instrument cluster and the PCM or a loss of communication between the ABS unit and the body control. Mm-hmm. There's several codes for all that, and all that relates back to an electrical issue somewhere. Yeah, that's right. I mean, how often have we seen stuff like a mysterious electrical issue that maybe the windows don't go up and down, the door locks start locking themselves, the alarm is going off at night, and somebody put an aftermarket radio in it. Right. And what it is, this is all class two serial data. All They're these all, components are talking to each other. And you've taken one of the components out of the system and, and changed it's, it. It's freaking out. And so when that security module is trying to ping that body module, it can't do it because it's got an active code in there because it sees the wrong radio in the car. Then everything kind of goes Yeah, goes haywire. Haywire from there. And unless you kind of understand these things, you know, things like a map sensor on an engine that uses a map sensor will very, very likely cause shifting concerns. Yep. If it doesn't see that proper manifold pressure, then it's not going to know how to shift. So I've seen transmissions exchanged many times for a still bad map sensor still and still have the same, same problem. problem. Or what happened, like a fan clutch will lock up. And all the customer knows they hear the engine racing up, but it's not. It's just the fans making more noise. They think the transmission is not shifting, change the transmission, and still have the same exact problem. Right. So you have to be very certain that you're chasing the, the right, right problem. problem. We've got Steve on line. Steve, can you make it quick? Yeah, I just want to joke your chain a little bit. Go ahead. Did you scream at the TV when you saw Kevin Harvick talking about that change all one year mobile one? Oh, man. <laughs> man I, didn't, I, I didn't see it, but I, I, saw I, would, it. I would be. <laughs> when I saw that, I, I, saw it. Bob, I bet, you, I bet you, uh, Lewis is screaming at his TV right well, now. Well, you know, and, and in a selfish kind of a way, it's actually to my benefit if people do that because that's going to produce a whole lot. That's going to make me a rich man. Yeah. Well, I thought about you when I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Lewis is screaming right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Steve. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. We're just about out of time for today. But, you know, that's a, probably a good topic for another show. I know we've talked about it before, but these hugely extended oil changes and the problems that they that cause. That they cause? Oh, I mean, man. Basically, the... it's making a lot of shops real, real it rich. It is. It really and is. It, ironically, they say, well, this is going to put the shops out of business. not going to be doing all change. Well, most shops don't want to do all change anyway. There's no, there very is, little money in all change. I was going to say, if any. A yeah. lot of them use them as lost leaders. That's right. But all the other stuff that comes along with not changing the oil That's is quite what, profitable. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Very much so. There you go. 
hey, I see the clock just a ticking on down. Start getting on out of here. We got a minute to finish it on up and wind it on out. There you go. And like th- thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, whichever that might be. Mm-hmm. I think there's Podcast and Podbean and uh, of course iHeart. The, you know the big ones. Yeah, there's bunches of them. And go to the written reviews. Fill it out for us and. Yeah, give us a positive review, and that'll move us up in the rankings so that when people type in auto repair, our name comes up close to the top, which means more people are going to click on us. And if more people click on us, the better our rating. So The more again, we can do the show. That's right, and the longer we can do the show. Because <laughs> <laughs> if nobody's listening, they're going to yeah, pretty much throw us on out of here. Give us the boot. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.